Hello to you all. This is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. Those of you that are new, I just want to mention that I do have a website at ultimatemeaning.com where there's a flip book and very original writing and understanding from myself by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. And highlighted in red print, there are links to many very amazing and profound videos, mostly from YouTube, um, which highly confirm the reality of what I am sharing here. And I am sharing about the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, who is who the one true God could only be and is. He is described in the Bible as in the Old Testament is, in the original Hebrew, is Yahweh Elohim, meaning the ultimate reality, far and separate above all creation, and Elohim meaning the Almighty's One, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I want to share with those that have come to know this one true eternal God through Jesus Christ who is the full expression of God the Father revealed in this time and creation realm to us to communicate on our limited creature level and to experience fellowship with his creation. You see, for God to be almighty, he also must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence which are beyond creation as the Father, in creation as the Son, and in omnipresence as the Holy Spirit filling all dimensions of time and space in creation and beyond. So those, those are the three ultimate aspects of existence. And if you're not in conscious intelligence, if you're not in personage in those three ultimate aspects of existence, you wouldn't be almighty. There is only one true eternal God. And that is the God that I have just described here, who is the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love. And I am tempted to get into in-depth description um, just because of the way God has gifted me. And so I will just briefly describe the other reason it can only be this one true eternal God I'm describing is because this is the only one true God who is revealed as having a love that is always choosing the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. You see, any lesser choice would have a measure of corruption in it, but God's love always chooses the highest lasting good. It is known as agape love in the New Testament when it describes the highest form of love. And this love is so integral and pure that it is, as it were, a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to his love. And there is no love that is greater than this love that is the very uh, destroyer of corruption, the very opposite of corruption. And from this indestructible foundation of the holiness of God's love, the integrity of God's love, springs forth the ultimate manifestation of God's love and that God has always had from the infinite past and beyond time and space, has always had in his being a love so great, 
so perfect, so ultimate, that he could condescend into this creation realm, into this world, as he did in Jesus Christ, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, so that you could repent and receive forgiveness for your sins and the gift of eternal life. God loved you that much. As an individual, as, as if even if you were the only one he created, he would have he loved you that much. How can you not want to receive this love? There is no love that can be imagined that is greater or that could exist that is greater. Only this love could be an ultimate trustworthiness. These two aspects that I described of love. First of all, the integrity of love. And then its transcendence and mercy. It's symbolized in the negative and positive symbol in electricity and math and so on. And all of nature is filled with negatives and positives. And that negative symbol represents the cutting off of corruption. It represents an indestructible foundation. It is the integrity of God's love. And then there's the positive symbol or the symbol of the cross that is formed by crossing out that, which represents this love that is so great that God would take judgment upon himself on the cross for you so that you could repent and receive eternal life. And it's only when we, we reciprocate this ultimate perfection of love that we are reciprocating what is ultimately trustworthy. To be able to contain unlimited authority, power, and life without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative that he is the very source. And so this is the one true God that I want to share about today and what he is saying to those that have come to, to the saving knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. So what I do is I seek to speak as the oracles of God, and that is what I will seek to do in this message. Because the word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. It also is further explained in Revelations 19.10 when it says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God out of a pure heart, in spirit and in truth, with great reverence and humility and love towards God, we are filled with his spirit to an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that are not coming from ourselves, but from the Spirit of God that are the words of God coming through us. In other words, we are speaking prophetically or singing prophetically or as the oracles of God. And that is what I am seeking to do here is to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship because it is out of that that we speak the words that are words that are spirit and life that bring life and touch the inner being and change people's lives. And what I do to facilitate this is I cast lots to get the possibility of any chapter in the Bible with two independent random applications so that I get two chapters that bear witness with one another as to the message, as to the theme of what God is wanting me to preach. And so I've done that today, and I want to share those passages. I also seek to find a song, sometimes just by 
pursuing it by casting of lot and if i don't find it that way i uh, somehow i see god's providence leading me to the right song and so i want to share with you first of all a song that we will worship god together with from a hymn book of 1080 hymns from throughout church history and from the underground church in china uh through the work of watchman e who was martyred in 1972 by the chinese communist party and they planted many churches and created many beautiful songs in this hymn book as well so this one is one from them and so here is the song for today it is also a new one for me almost every song i choose is a new one and so today is also the same so here we go with worshiping the lord Savior gave me, Christ indeed has set me free. All the power of sin is broken, all destiny is passed from me. Christ has made me more than conqueror by his mighty victory. Now his resurrection from my spirit strengthens me. From the law Christ has delivered to its claims I'm ever dead. Nevermore the law shall bind me, but by grace I'll live instead. Christ has sinned, condemned at Calvary, and its power done away. Now it has no ground within me, I am free from all its sway. Christ has made me more than conqueror, by his mighty victory. Now his resurrection power from my spirit strengthens me. Grace he giveth, 
With his power he covers me, makes me glory in my weakness, and in weakness strengthens me. Christ has made me more than conquer by his mighty victory. Now his resurrection power How wonderful to know such a wonderful newness of life in us, especially those that once were in darkness. And then the light of the glory of God shines through the darkness of their heart and they find they can have this wonderful communion and fellowship in love with God. We do come just as we are. And when we come just as we are in all our weakness and sin, if you do not know Christ, we come because we are repentant, because we are aware of how unworthy we are of the mercy of God. We come with a heart, therefore, being aware of such unworthiness of our need for his mercy, and he reveals his mercy to us and gives us the assurance in our heart that we are forgiven because he promises in his word that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the way we always come to him is when there's a heart that is repentant. If we come to God and we have sin in our lives and we're ignoring it, we're not really coming to God. Now, the two passages I received today by the casting of Lot before God were John 15 and Genesis 4, and there's a very clear message here. And of course, I haven't been preaching as much because I'm on the verge of almost getting my book on life after death uploaded up onto Amazon. I'm just doing the formatting now with some very sophisticated software called Scrivener. So, but I want to share with you that I did receive yesterday and also a passage that's very similar in theme to the passage today by the casting of Lot. Both of these passages from yesterday and today are a contrast. This is how they are fitting together by the casting of Lot. They're showing a contrast. And so I'll just briefly touch on the fact that yesterday I received Luke 7 and 1 Kings 21. And in Luke 7, you have there the, the centurion that came to the Lord because he was very burdened because his servant was near death. And he sends a messenger saying, I'm not worthy 
for you, Lord, to even come to my house to lay hands on my servant. But just say the word and he'll be healed uh, because I'm a man also under authority. And of course, the Lord marveled at his faith that he had such amazing moral persuasion in who God is in Christ there, that he would do this, that he would actually not want to have Christ come there. He felt unworthy of that. This is contrasted with 1 Kings 21, where you have Ahab coveting the field that is adjacent to his property, Ahab the king, that is a beautiful piece of land with very nice vegetation on it by, I think the person's name was, I forgot how it's pronounced, Nadab or something. Anyhow, Nadab said, I can't give it to you. It's it's part of my inheritance and I can't lose my inheritance. And so Ahab was all upset and so wicked Jezebel that worshiped idols and seduced him all the time, stirred him up, said, oh, I'll arrange for Ahab to die, not Ahab to die, Nadab, or however you pronounce his name, to die. And um, sure enough, she set a bunch of people, called a fast, had the people come together, and then says she hired people that were servants of Belial, which means servants of the devil, to falsely accuse him before everyone of blaspheming God. And of course, the sin of blaspheming God is stoning, and so they stoned him, and so there, then he took his field. And so there we have in Luke 7 the contrast between the centurion and something that's the very opposite of that. And here also today, I receive John 15 and Genesis 4. And John 15 is about love. It's about abiding in God. And Genesis 4 is the account of Cain who slew his brother Abel. Again, a very strong contrast between love, on the one hand, being emphasized in John 15, and hate that was manifested in Cain. So what is God saying to us as his people in this hour? He is calling us forth to be those that shine with the love of God, with an overcoming love. And so I want to start now just reading some of the verses here in John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is of the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more so if we are living a life that doesn't bear fruit unto God, we are taken away. Actually, we are not even abiding in God. That's the reason we're not bearing fruit, which means we're not really genuinely born again of the Spirit. There is a false teaching, oh, you can just say the sinner's prayer and believe, but how do you know it's not just merely an intellectual assent or that you think by saying some prayer that you are saved? It's not just a mere matter, matter of saying a prayer. It's a matter of a genuine turning from the heart. I mean, this is emphasized also in 1 John, and I don't know exactly where this verse is, but I feel maybe even to turn 
to First uh, John and find this particular verse. Um, maybe I, I'll just mention this, that it says, whoever is born of God does righteousness, and he that does not do righteousness is not born of God. And it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature in another scripture in Corinthians. And God, when he does a true work of conversion in our hearts, when we are truly born again of the Spirit, there is the desire in us to know this relationship with God ever enlarging that we entered into. When you're really born again, you enter into a place of genuine transformation. And it says in the Word of God, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you, walk ye in him. This is the secret to abiding in God. It is the way we receive Christ that we continue to walk with God, and that is the way we abide in God. So what is involved in genuine conversion, in genuine rebirth? Before we are born again of the Spirit of God, we are not even be able to perceive God aright. It says that Christ said, except ye be born again of the Spirit, ye cannot perceive or cannot see the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the awareness of his realm. You cannot even perceive this realm. But when you're born of the Spirit, you do. So how does that happen? It is described in the Old Testament many times as the circumcision of the heart. Oh, you're saying people were born again in the Old Testament? Oh, I sure am. This is another ridiculous concept that many Christians have, that somehow in the Old Testament, people were not saved and they were not born again in the Spirit. When Christ expected Nicodemus before he died on the cross, that the rulers should all know, including him, what it was to be born anew in a spiritual way, to be born of the Spirit. And so I mentioned the circumcision of the heart. The flesh encloses our spirit. It is like the electrons of an atom spinning, the electrons spinning around the nucleus of the atom. They form a hard shell. It takes something to break that shell. And it takes a cutting away to break the enclosement of our soul over our spirit. Because in our lost state, our spirit, which is our capacity to worship, is worshiping self, which is our soul. And it takes the sharp two-edged sword of the Spirit of God to circumcise our hearts, to cut away that enclosement, that state of self-worship, of deception, where all we do is focused around our own world and we're just living in our own insular world and not aware of the ultimate reality of this universe and of God and of abiding in Him. And so... There is a two-edged sword, which is what is the Word of God is described as in Hebrews 4, 12. The Word of God is sharp as a two-edged sword, searching to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, it exposes our condition. Hebrews 
What happened with Cain? Why did Cain become so angry at his brother Abel that he killed him? Because God wouldn't accept his offering. He worked so hard and he sacrificed all this hard work to offer it up to God and God rejected it. Now, why did God reject it? Well, we read this here. And he's, <clears throat> I'm just going to read this a little bit. In Genesis 4, 7 to 12, if thou doest while well, he's speaking to Cain, Cain is really angry. God didn't accept his offering. He accepted Abel's. Abel just brought an animal sacrifice. He realized that he could not save himself. That he needed the mercy of God. But Cain is bringing all of the sacrifice, thinking that this is going to please God, and so he's really upset. And the Lord says this, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. In other words, I would accept you if you were doing well, but there is something you need to see in your heart that is causing, there's something at the door of your heart. There's sin at the door of your heart that you're holding on to. That is causing your heart to be closed from me. Sin is lying at the door of your heart, closing your heart from me. You need to recognize that. And unto thee shall be his desire. In other words, if you overcome this reality that is at the door of your heart, the sin, then you will even be leader over Cain. And thou shalt rule over him, it says here. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. He didn't listen to what God said. He said, deal with this. Face it. No, he was upset. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I know not. Like as if God doesn't know. Am I my brother's keeper? What a liar. It says that the devil was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, and it's referring to this here, that he was in Cain. The same spirit that is in the devil was in Cain. That is in rebellion against God. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. And it goes on to say, When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee your strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Cain was hard in his heart. And the reason he was hard in his heart was because he was focused on the consequences of suffering around him and in his own life that he had to work by the sweat of his brow, that there was all these terrible things happening in the world. And he was saying, why would God allow all this? And he lost sight of who God was in his goodness. There was a tendency of unthankfulness in Cain. He knew that God was almighty and all-powerful and that he had to submit to him. He believed in God. He believed in all. If they had a Bible back then, he would have believed in all the scriptures. But no. He was focused on the consequences around him 
of God's pure, integral love that required judgment and severity and all that is contrary to love, all the corruption which is in the heart. And so he was unthankful in his heart and had a wrong perception of God as all-powerful, like a dictator that required appeasement, required sacrifice to please. This was a wrong, idolatrous, monotheistic perception of God. And that was the sin that was in his heart. It was the law of self-righteousness, of self-works. The same trap that the children of Israel fell into when God gave the law. His intent was not that they would receive the law or, or get their focus on the law instead of him. He commanded in the context of giving the law that they would love God with all their heart and mind and being and strength. And that when they came with those animal sacrifices, they would realize their undoneness before God and cry out like Abel, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And recognize that only God had the power to forgive them. He wanted them to have their focus on loving him and out of that to keep the law. But it reversed because people get their focus on self. They get their focus on their own sufficiency because they have a wrong perception of God. They do not realize that in their, in, before a holy God, you cannot possibly come with anything that could be acceptable in your own sufficiency. And so, in this case, we see the result. And what God is saying here is he wants us to know a genuine conversion, an ongoing genuine process of conversion and transformation in our lives also that initially starts when we come into the genuine fear of God and what is the genuine fear of God. It is what brings genuine rebirth. The genuine fear of God is a turning from the heart. It's, not, it's a choice that involves a deep turning from the heart to rightly perceive, receive who God is in his holiness. First of all, in his holiness, that is in the integrity of his love that will not tolerate sin, that we see that as good and not become unthankful in our hearts and start questioning God and, and be focused in an unthankful way before God. But we come before God in great reverence, realizing our undoneness apart from him. Rather than being unthankful, we see our unworthiness, that we need his mercy. And that can only happen as we first perceive that only God is worthy and pure and holy. And that his love is good, that it is severe because it ensures a destiny where there's no corruption, no one is heaven. And so in genuine conversion, there is a moral persuasion. The word belief in the New Testament, pistis is the word. It says, whoever believes in me from their innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That is a belief from the heart. That is a moral persuasion in who God is 
in being ultimately trustworthy with no darkness in him at all or no corruption in him at all. This, this integral love that we see that God is good, that his holiness is good, and it is out of that that we can only possibly then recognize that he is so good that he has the power to forgive us as he has displayed in Jesus Christ on the cross and even before Christ came. In Micah 6, it says, even if I gave the fruit of my womb as a sacrifice, it wouldn't be sufficient to please God. And then it says, who has showed thee, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of thee? But to love mercy, to love the mercy of God so that you can show mercy to others, to reciprocate who God is in these two aspects of his being. First, the integrity of his love, which is his holiness. And then out of that, you are able to reciprocate the mercy of God with a true turning from the heart. It says in Isaiah 30, Five, is it? Or is it 33? I forgot which chapter now. Probably 33. It says concerning the Messiah, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. The Messiah treasures the fear of the Lord because that is the secret of a deep abiding relationship, even in the triunity of the one true eternal God in these three personages that rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence. Oh, brothers and sisters, God is calling us as his people to return to the genuine fear of God till, so that we come out of the uncleanness of the loves of this world. I could continue to read various verses here in John. I'll just read a few of them towards the end of the message here. It says in verse 4 to 5, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Do you want to be like Ahab? Ahab always loved uh spiritual things. He called Elijah his enemy, but he wanted to, he realized he was of God and wouldn't kill him because he knew that everything Elijah said came true. Yeah, there are people today that can love hearing wonderful sermons. The children of Israel loved to hear Ezekiel because he was such a good speaker. But the Lord said, they love to hear your messages, but their heart is far from me. And God is calling his people today to be those that don't end up being like an Ahab and like a Cain, that harden their hearts, that buy into a false gospel that says, oh, I can live any old way and I'll be saved and go to heaven. No, you probably weren't genuinely converted in the first place. A person that's really born again of the Spirit is convicted of sin. They want to please God. They want to be close. They want to live a righteous life, and they seek to live a righteous life. That is the evidence of genuine rebirth. Yes, you can still lose your salvation. You can still, um, as it says in the book of Revelation concerning the church of Sardis, that I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, 
speaking of those that do not defile their garments. How did they defile their garments in Sardis? Possibly they had to deny the Lord or something in order to be part of certain clans in order to make money in a, in a guild or whatever. That's probably what it was. And in the last days, the same issue is going to be faced, and we're even facing it now with the vaccines, where people are being asked, if you don't get the vaccine, you lose your job. Can you imagine that? And even cancel your bank account because you protest for the charter of rights and freedoms of a nation? It was once under God. It is time for us as his people to turn back to him. I could go on reading these scriptures here, but my, I'm pre preaching a long message. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples or ones that truly are learning from me and following me. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Brothers and sisters, it is easy to become offended when the world persecutes you. But don't let that offense become unforgiveness. Choose to turn in your heart and to love even when you are hated. As Christ said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now it also does say in the word that if your brother sins against you, rebuke him and if he repent, forgive him. So there is a place where you require repentance and you withhold God's judgment, and, and you don't withhold God's judgment on them if they refuse to repent, but it's out of love. You are seeking them to come to repentance. You're not viewing them with offense and hate, but with a desire to see them saved, even though they have hurt you. So we initiate forgiveness even before they repent with the intent that they might repent by the initiation of our love in return for their hate to us. God is calling his people in this hour to be those that are true overcomers, that are true lovers of God, that drop the loves of this world. For it says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. God is calling his people to repent of the loves of the world that have made our hearts hard. He wants us to return to the genuine fear of God, to break up the fall of ground, to circumcise our hearts so that he can pour out of his spirit upon good ground and cause there to be much fruit that comes forth in these last days. I've written a book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which shows everything that you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from fully inhabiting your local assembly. 
I would appreciate it if you would purchase that book and implement it in your congregation because this is what God is calling his people to, to never go back to being the church the way it was because we are living in an hour of crisis as never before and the harvest is upon us and oh, woe unto us if we are not in a line with God's zeal and purpose for this hour, which is to bring forth a conquering bride church in every nation upon the earth. One that will conquer your city, your community. They will conquer your nation with the gospel on the last days so that there might be a mighty harvest. There are multitudes that are dropping dead right now from the vaccines. If you don't know it, you better wake up and go to my website, either at loverealize.com or ultimatemeeting.com, where I have links to valid, integral news sources that do not lie to you and that are exposing what's going on. It's very clear. It's from the insurance companies. It's from places like rens-law.com, r-e-n-z-law.com, where U.S. Army statistics are there on the, for example, 1,040% increase in neurological damage and deaths to U.S. soldiers. That's just one aspect of these people that have taken two or more vaccines. So we're living in serious times, and it is time for us to wake up and to seek God as never before. And he's calling his church to come forth in each town and city and to come together and pray and seek his face as never before and then go back to being a congregation that lives the abundant life, the victorious life, the free life that is filled with the love of God, that knows how to sing even when you're tortured in prison the praises of God because he so brings his presence at his appointed times of refreshing. There are times when he allows us to seem and feel forsaken, but those are the times we exercise in our inner being that trust that is unconditional towards God. He is calling us to come to that place of unconditional moral persuasion in him that causes us to be so filled with the love of God that is triumphant in all things so that we are neither separated by height nor breadth or, nor, or by any other creature. Nothing can separate us from the love of God when we have the love of God, that true new nature within us that we are nurturing and ever enlarging. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.